Welcome to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. We have a full cast today because Kip Adams of Dogs 24-7 is with us to talk about the opening. Rusty Mansell is with us from Dogs 24-7 to talk about just about anything and everything we want to talk about, mainly Bojangles. And, uh, you know, we're going to start by talking about the opening and, and how Kip kind of just dominated the coverage out there. I mean, I, I you know, Rusty and I talked about it last show. Woke up in the morning, like 25 updates on the board. I think it was more like 15, but we're going to exaggerate. And uh, first of all, Kip, what was it like out there? Uh, what's it like to be back? Uh, how how good a time did you have? I know you ate some good food. Um, what, to talk to us about the opening a little bit. Well, uh, I've spent the last couple of days recovering from the experience, both the food and, and, and the, uh, the actual event. I think uh, the opening is, is an outstanding event for us as a company. It gives us a chance to not only get updates on all these kids in one setting, but also kind of compare these guys uh, against elite talent. You know, you got guys like Julian Fleming who come from a, a very small town uh, in Pennsylvania that no one, no one really went and saw him play. He was originally ranked just on the film. Get to actually see how he matches up with other guys. And for, for us at Dogs 24-7, we were able to to get a lot of updates. I just, you know, I saw all these guys coming into the check-in portion of the uh, of the event and just decided, you know what, uh, screw it. I'm just going to write all, you know, write all these updates right now. Why wait? Why hold the news for anyone? Let's just get it out there immediately. And, you know, I thought it worked out pretty well. Um, and, and you get better access that first day during check-in. They're all coming in. Uh, I thought, you know, the event went pretty well, and it really, it just provided a good chance to to see these guys in person. A lot of guys I hadn't put eyes on before, and and just to see how they interact with each other, trying to get a good feel for, you know, how they're handling their recruitment and, and really, you know, where things stand in terms of Georgia. So it provided a lot of value in my eyes, and uh, I, this is, I think the third, fourth year I've covered the event. And this year, more than ever, I, I really felt like there was a, uh, there are a lot of guys that Georgia is involved with in this cycle, legitimate contenders. You know, I got, I think I wrote down 20, 21 guys that I wanted to get updates on. I think I did get most of them that first day and then was able to come back, uh, you know, on, on, on day three and day four and get a couple more updates from guys like five-star tight end Avery Gilbert out of Marietta High School was able to, you know, to get the news from him that he's considering announcing his uh, commitment in, in September after a couple official visits. So that was some significant news that came out later in the event. But overall, you know, a, a lot of news coming out of that, and I think a lot of it that we're going to look back on uh, with Georgia in this cycle and, and see that there there were a lot of guys that, that Georgia landed that were at this event. Yeah, and and I thought that you know that was my th feeling too. Just in terms of not not just like you know guys who a lot of Georgia guys, but just a lot of Georgia buzz. I mean, you know, you're talking about guys who had good things to say about Georgia, um, and and Georgia targets that were that that were kind of blowing up and doing well. Everybody from you know Tate Radlish to Tank Bigsby and and uh, you know commits targets Noah Sewell, uh, all of those guys seem to have 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 pretty big weeks out there. Yeah, I, I went into this event really wanting to see Noah Sewell and, and see what it's like to see someone six foot two, two hundred and sixty-six pounds, 
move the way that he does, and, and he did not disappoint at all. I I thought it was uh, it was just really rare to see someone able to to move the way that he did in a setting that doesn't really doesn't really feature the linebacker that much. But he was incredibly active. I mean, I saw him knocking footballs out of the hands of wideouts. You know, he was tracking down running backs in space. It's really scary to see because it's clear that his, you know, he plays better in, in pads. That's that's his game. But in that setting, he still stood out. He still tested incredibly well. And, uh, you know, Tate Ravage as well. I mean, just seeing him in that setting, uh, the growth that he had over the course of the event. A guy, that, you know, we saw really for the first time, Rusty's seen him plenty of times, but as a network, the first time seeing him at the opening of the Atlanta Regional, he stood out there, but then on this national stage, you know, just seeing him get better over the course of competition and and get better and do well against really the elite guys in the lineman drills, the guys he was going against between Corey Freeman, the actual MVP of the event, a 2021 freak. Brian Brissy, a guy that's been number one, you know, overall in the country for a while. And, and B.J. Ojoari, a, a guy that really stood out out there. Uh, you know, uh, Tate, the final day, you know, went 3-0, 2-1, 2-1 against those three guys. And, and really incredibly impressive. The, the punch that he has and, and just the, his ability to get better stood out a lot to me. So there were, there were several performances uh you know, that impressed me a lot. And it's stuff that I can take from that and, and continue to to write about moving forward, just knowing what I saw from them in that setting. I'll tell you this, Kip, you know, knowing Tate as long as I have, uh, basically since the eighth grade, the one thing I told everybody when we were talking about his ranking, talking about inviting him to the All-American Bowl, Tate is not afraid to compete. He does play at a single-A private school. Um, you know, Andrew Thomas Pace Academy was single A private school, I think, until his senior year, and then moved up to triple A. Uh, Jamari Salyer, those guys. So there's there's football players there. But I'll say this that there I talked to Tate a couple of days before he went to Texas, and he was like, I can't wait to go out and compete. You know, I've been, you know, I can't wait to go out and compete against these guys. And and um, you know, he there wasn't one ounce of hesitation. And like you said, I he won some battles, lost some battles, but I you know, just watching from afar, I knew that uh, he was going to come out that last day and, and compete and, and, and try to get better. So that that's a lot of his makeup. His best days are ahead of Tate Ratledge. He is nowhere near uh, his ceiling. I, I think that the sky's the limit for him. And just knowing um, what he's got inside of him in a 6'6", 315-pound frame, he, he's going to be very, very good at Georgia. Yeah, that's really what stood out to me as well is that he still has some physical development. When he gets in that strength and conditioning program, uh, you know, he could be an elite talent uh, at left tackle if that's where he ends up. And and he said it to me. He said, I wanted to go against the best competition possible, and that's who I wanted to be matched up against. And, and they were able to do that for him, and he loved it. I mean, that's he ate that up. He says that – you know, yep. going against the best is gonna is gonna make me a better player. You know, he he touched base with Sam Pittman while he was out there and and got some pointers from him as well. And he he came out of that event better than what he was going in, and that's really all you could ask for. 
you know, one of the things that really impressed me, and I've talked about this on the last show for, for a second or two, was, you know, you saw him rushing against, I mean, you saw him going one-on-one against Brian Brezzi, Brissy, uh, however you pronounce his name, on the first day, and, and Brissy pulled out the bull rush against him twice, and you think 6'5", 290 pounds, that guy full head of steam, he's going to put a lot of guys on their back, and Tate Radledge was able to kind of, you know, put his feet in the ground and not only just not get driven straight back, but but stay on his feet. And and those are things that that you start to look for in an offensive lineman. I've said it now, and and I know I know a lot of offensive line coaches and you know offensive guys just in general. You know, one of the things that they really look at with an offensive lineman is how mu- how often can he stay on his feet? Does he does he maintain his balance and stay on his feet well? And when he gets knocked down, how does he get back up? Is he the kind of guy that has to kind of wallow around and and get back up, or can he pop right back up and, and like an athlete? And uh, you know, Tate Radledge definitely looks the part as far as that goes. And and you and like Rusty said, he's only going to get more athletic. He's only you know, and you pointed out as well you know, strength, conditioning, nutrition, all that stuff. He's going to lean up at the next level. He's going to be a guy that can, that can hold his own and, and, and be a better athlete the more he does this. And that's, that's absolutely huge. Outside of Tate Rattledge, what was the best thing you saw at the opening? I know we've discussed him kind of at length. You talked about Noah Sewell. Well, what are, what are some other things about the opening that, that really stood out to you? Uh, and, and, you know, I guess kind of trying to keep it more Georgia related. Uh, what, what impressed you? You know, I think what really caught my eye uh, were, were the two running backs out there, both un- uncommitted this time. Uh, I had to go with five-star Kendall Milton out, out of California, Clovis, California, Buchanan High School. You know, he's a guy that's 6'2", 229 pounds. I wanted to see how he can move. You know, a lot has been made about the 40 times and, and what his 40 actually is, but, but really – what I was looking for was was change of direction. You know, what can he do in space? You know, they have drills set up for that out there to kind of see, you know, if they have some wiggle to them. And I you know I saw that from Kendall in the cat and mouse drill. You know, he did exceptionally well in that. And then I have to point out a couple reps. Uh, he made Noah Sewell, you know, just come up with, with just air. You know, he, he left him in the dust a couple times. And, and, you know, that really impressed me just because of him being a bigger guy. That's what I want. You know, I don't want a guy that's just going to be north-south. If if a guy's kind of, you know, if he doesn't have any wiggle there, if he's kind of stiff, then you're going to end up, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. You're going to end up with that guy that that, that gets tackled a lot, you know, near the line of scrimmage and possible injuries down the road. He's going to take, you know, a lot of, on, on those knees because that's what they're going to be going for when you're back that size. And so he showed he can make guys miss. And, you know, that really impressed me. The You know, the other guy out there, Tank Bigsby, you know, from the state of Georgia, a guy that has been kind of, you know, under, you know, uh, he's been overshadowed by some of these other running backs in this class. We've talked about the Zach Evans you know, the Jason McClellans, uh, the Evan McGowans, uh, you know, and Milton. I think out there, Tank showed that he's he should be up there in that group, in the running, because he tested exceptionally well and really showed very soft hands out there. And I, I think he, I came away thinking, it, you know, huge stock up w- with Tank Bigsby. He's up there with me with Milton. You know, if I'm trying to rank those two guys, it'd be really tough because Bigsby found the end zone a lot during seven on seven, and, and he's not a small back. 
he, you know, he's six foot. He's 210, pushing 210 pounds right now. And he, he was exceptional running routes out there. Um, he was a matchup problem just because of that versatility. And you look at what George is wanting to do in this class, that combo would have to be frightening for opposing defenses if if that was the running back duo Georgia was able to land. You know, our, my big takeaway is that you give me those two guys in a class, and, and I, you know, I'd be thrilled as an offensive coordinator because they both bring a lot to the table. Uh, they both have the ability to catch the football, and they both have the ability to make defenders miss. It's kind of funny. You, you just brought up a, a back that's ranked number 50 in the country, and, and he's being overshadowed in this class because Georgia's shooting so high at the running back position. That, that kind of blows my mind a little bit because, um, you know, I guess it just goes to, to you know, to how – goes to speak to how Georgia is, is just recruits that position in general. And, and this class – to me, and and I, you know, I know we're not going to get too in depth in it, but it, it just reminds me so much of that Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle class. Dalvin Cook, I think, was also in that class. I mean, just so many talented backs. Maybe Royce Freeman was in there as well. Um, just, I mean, back after back after back that you think star potential. And you know, we're talking about, and, and you're not wrong. You're absolutely right that a top that a top fifty player in the country has been overshadowed by higher-ranked guys to this point. And then he goes out to the opening, stands out in an environment where it's very difficult for a running back to stand out in. And, uh, you know, I know definitely, um, you know, I didn't know much about him coming in. I knew he'd put up ridiculous numbers his senior year of high school. I mean, his junior year of high school. But outside of that, I, I didn't know a ton about, you know, what kind of player he was. And then he goes out there against some of the best in the country, catches the ball well, and, and definitely stands out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, moving on to, to kind of more of the team aspect of things. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to discuss today and, and I thought was really important to Georgia's 2019 success is the slot receiver position. Okay. And, and you know, both Jim Chaney and, and James Coley, there's going to be differences and all that stuff. But when, when you talk about that slot receiver position, um, it is both guys have a strong Scott Linehan influence. Dallas Cowboys uh, office coordinator a year ago was the office coordinator with the Miami Dolphins um, when Nick Saban was there. Uh, that you know, I, when when Kirby Smart mentioned that tie between those two coaches at at his uh, when he you know first started talking about Jim Chaney and James Coley when he had hired them as coaches, I, I did a little bit of research on Scott Linehan. And the slot receiver position is so key to how he does things because of the two-way go, because of the in-cuts, the out-cuts, the option routes, the side adjustments, the difficulty uh, of, of covering a slot receiver, and, and the probability, the higher probability that you can move that guy around and create mismatches. And, and you know, you look at Georgia's slot receiver position, they lost two really good ones this past year in Terry Godwin and Miko Hardman. And, you know, the, 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 the folks that – the pie in the sky folks and the folks that are eternal optimists about everything, they're going to say, well, next man up. And, and that's, that's a viable, you know, uh, statement to make because 
Georgia's recruited so well. But the doomsdayers are going to say, how do you replace Terry Godwin and Miko Hardman, two guys that were drafted, one guy that caught everything thrown his way, and Terry Godwin who could create create quick separation, and another guy in Miko Hardman that was a big play waiting to happen. And, Rusty, I'll throw it to you right now because I know you had some interesting stuff to say about Kiaris Jackson here recently, and he's going to be in there. But but what are your thoughts on the slot receiver position at Georgia and, and who might, you know, and I, I mean, obviously we may have a little bit of a preview to your answer here, who might be the guy to kind of step up and become um, the, the, the instant impact guy in, in the wake of, of Godwin and Hardman? I mean, I'll look big picture. You look at big picture and, and, and you go to the NFL and it's a copycat league. Not only those teams copycat each other, it trickles down into the into the high school and into the um, college level in the slot receiver right now. That third down possession guy is such a hot commodity in the NFL. You look at New England with Julian Edelman and those guys. And, um, you know, we even talk about you go back to the Missouri game, you know, Kirby Smart's first year with Jacob Eason, and he throws that ball to Isaiah McKenzie with the game on the line at Missouri. And you get you go wide and you get that slot into a position versus a linebacker. Um, you know, and Easton drops that thing over, which was a hell of a ball. But Isaiah having the matchup, uh, able to make that play. And you force teams into those types of matchups for that slot receiver position. And you look at the amount of touches they lost there and Miko Hardman and Terry Goblin, those guys. But it's a lot, you know, lots open there with Kiaris Jackson, I think. I think you can see Tyler Simmons in that slide as a big body guy, some. Um, I think Dominic Blaylock down the line as he learns the offense is a is a precise route runner. He creates separation. I heard an NFL guy yesterday talking about how they eval wide receivers, and he said he'll give up some speed if you give me great hands and the ability to separate. I'll give up speed because in the NFL, those guys can cover so good, you've got to be able to separate. So I just think it's so big, and Harris Jackson has that type body. He's strong. He's got good hands. Uh, I think Georgia did a great thing redshirting him and giving him some time to develop. He'll be that guy this year. I think Georgia is going to get some of those meaningful touches in the slot. Maybe Demetrius Robertson will line up there some. I know Kip likes that idea a little bit. Talk more about it. But I just think the slot receiver is so big in today's game. You go to NFL, watch it. You know, Tyreek Hill, regardless of who he is off the field, such a problem for the Chiefs, for anybody that played them. I think Nico Harmon is going to get a lot of those touches. It's a huge, huge deal in today's offense. Look at Corey Wren, who Georgia got. He's five foot nine, 175 pounds. He's a burner. With Julie Edelman, Edelman, 5'10 and a half, 195. Tyreek Hill, 5'9, maybe uh, 185 pounds. So everybody has one of those guys. And Georgia's no different. That slot receiver is going to be huge. And I think James Coley's got some weapons and some guys coming. Kip, what, what are you looking for as far as that position and, and what, what kind of do you think, you know, what guy do you think Georgia needs to step up and kind of become a little bit more of a factor there? I mean, I think there's no question. I mean, you mentioned some of the other guys who had a chance to step up. Kiaris Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, you know, those are guys that, that have a chance to play meaningful roles. But for Georgia, I mean, you got you to gotta look at Demetrius Robertson and, and say, like, it, will the real Demetrius Robertson stand up? Because you look at Georgia's offense, it works at its best when you do have that guy that opposing defenses have to account for over the top. You know, the, the separation, the speed that, that Demetrius brings to the table is something Georgia really needs to utilize this year. And again, this is he's had a full year in the program now. He's not he's not a freshman anymore. You know, he's a fourth year junior. And if you go back and you look at that freshman season at Cal that everyone points to, uh, 
you know, most of those routes were, were him just, you know, going on a straight go route and, and trying to beat someone in one-on-one coverage. He's just not going to be able to do that in, in, in the SEC consistently. You know, he's got to develop. He's got to come around and get on the same page with Jake Fromm. And that's really something he didn't really have an opportunity to do last season. I mean, he came in late. You know, he wasn't physically prepared for what, you know, Mark Rick, I mean, uh, Kirby Smart and this coaching staff needed him to do. And he wasn't able to get on the same page with Fromm because Fromm already had his guys that, that he had a good rapport with. He already had, you know, Jeremiah Holloman, Miko Harbin, Riley Ridley, you know, Isaac Nada, Terry Godwin. He had guys that he knew there. And he knew he could depend on. And Demetrius wasn't able to really, you know, come in there and 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 get into that mix. But now, I mean, there should be no questions here. He should be able to, to come in into fall camp stronger, more prepared, familiar with the offense, and, and ready to show everyone why he was the number one wide receiver in the country coming out of high school. And if he can if he can develop into, you know, that Harbin type role. You know, maybe not high volume, but a guy that, again, can be very lethal offensively when he gets the ball just because of that speed. And then the defenses have to respect that. And, uh, you know, that'll help out with the running game. And that'll only open up the deep ball even more for him. If he can if he can get open and get separation and, and, and have a more complete route tree, I mean, he has that potential. I'm not going to say like an all-conference guy, but really complete Georgia's offense and, and give them a better chance to spread the ball out efficiently uh, and, you know, put points on the board this fall. So I, I want to see D-Rob, the D-Rob that we know, uh, you know, the ability we saw coming out of high school. I want to see that on the field this fall for Georgia. And I think it's also important to note that he was coming off of a pretty – you know, uh, laborious injury there with the uh, with with the sports hernia, and uh, you know, Rusty mentioned I, I want to say it was last show or, or sometime recently that he just wasn't in shape. You know, when he came in, he's had a chance to put all that behind him. You know, one element of that slot position that kind of changes things from an X's and O's standpoint, and and you saw it last year when Miko Hardman was on the field, when he was on the field, and and you had teams. Um, you know, having to kind of leave a safety in the middle of the field because they've got to try to cover that guy on the post. They've got to cover that guy on the seam. They've got to cover that that slot fade route. The, it was the same route that Isaiah McKenzie caught for that touchdown, a 5-6 guy against – you know, catching a fade route is kind of ridiculous, but he he caught one in the uh, in the Chick Fil A kickoff game, one of Jacob Eason's first big throws as a Georgia player, and and you know kind of sealed helped seal the deal in that game. Uh, but but you know when that guy was on the field, when Miko Hardman was on the field, uh, it allowed it allowed Georgia to get some freedom on the outside. It allowed him to to throw that back shoulder fade a little more often because teams had to play tight coverage on the outside and and Jake Fromm had options to Jeremiah Holloman and Riley Ridley and, and he's got to replace those two as well now and so that's that's going to be big also uh, you know I see this and I look at this and I listen to you guys talk about it the makings of what Georgia had last year are there you know you've got the 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 sure-handed physical receivers 
um, and and uh, and Kiaris Jackson and and Dominic Blaylock, two different guys, but guys can, that can do some of the same things. That can gain that quick separation, that can break it, break tackles. And although Terry Godwin wasn't a big guy, he could break tackles and and make some plays in the open field. You know, you look at the Vanderbilt catch, you look at the Auburn catch for the touchdown right before the half, and and you also have a guy that that can take the top off the defense to keep teams honest there up the seam, and that's Demetrius Robertson. So the makings are there. And it's very, very important, I think, to this offense, maybe more important than replacing Jeremiah Holloman, is finding that production in the slot. And not only that, but finding that guy who can take that star or nickel, he can put a hat on him. And and, and Rusty brought it up here a second ago. Kiaris Jackson can do that. Tyler Simmons can do that. Dominic Blaylock has the ability to do that. He's going to have to learn a little bit. But but those are all options that I think are huge for Georgia because of the fact that that this offense does is really going to rely on that. And I and I also think that you can you can get some production there out of James Cook. You can get some production there out of DeAndre Swift if you want to split him out, and and Charlie Warner as well. Maybe even Eli Wolf. So there there are options there. They're just all unproven, and it's very important that they step up. Rusty, I wanted to ask you a quick question, and and this is something that you and I have talked about kind of privately before. But but I I thought that you had you, you would have some interesting insight on this. You know we've got a couple of articles here up today about Jake Fromm, uh, you know Jake Fromm from his quarterback coach talking about him as a natural leader. You had Matt Miller talking about earlier this week about how he's the most NFL ready quarterback out there. Uh, you got Jesse Palmer and Trent Dilfer gushing over the kid and and kind of his ability, his skill set, his competitiveness. You know, what do you think the the odds are? What do you think? Not not necessarily what the odds are, but what do you think the thinking is in Fromm's camp about the NFL after the 2019 season? I know it's premature. Nothing's even happened yet. But what do you think could happen there? Answer this uh, a couple ways. Now, I have uh, sources very, very close to this. And the um, feeling with Jake Fromm is he is – focused on one thing, and that's the University of Georgia. He has not met agents. He was invited by the NFL to go to the draft last year, and they did some educational things, and certainly I would do that. I think Andrew Thomas went as well, and certainly I would do that. Who would not want to get the NFL education? I think from everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to some very, very good sources close to this, that he is focused only on Georgia. In fact, I was told this weekend he's going to take some guys and they're going to go off campus. They're going to work and throw similar to what these NFL quarterbacks do. I was down in at Lake Oconee probably a month and a half ago and sitting at the pool and all of a sudden this boat pulls up and it's pretty easy to tell when NFL athletes jump off. Well, this Ben Roethlisberger and all his wide receivers. They had been working that morning over at Putnam County High School. Uh, they were spending the afternoon relaxing. The next day they were going to work all day and do some relaxing in the afternoon. So I don't necessarily know where Jake Fromm's going to go, but they're going to, he's going to take some wide receivers, some young guys, going to get some extra work. And it's those little things like that that you hear about what separates Jake Fromm from the others. Uh, we talk about his legacy all the time. The one thing I'll say is Jake Fromm, uh, you know, going against Jacob Eason, uh, got his opportunity, never gave the job back. Many people felt like Justin Fields was going to take the job from him. Justin Fields is no longer at Georgia, and the reason those guys aren't there is because they did not win the job from Jake Fromm. So Jake Fromm is a guy that Georgia fans should, should relish, should enjoy, whether he's here one more year or two more years. I know this from talking to several, several sources in his circle, 
uh, different circles close to close to we have knowledge of him that tell me he is focused on one thing and that is this season now end of the year you'll have those discussions according to how this year goes but right now there is no hesitation with me saying he is focused on one thing and that is this season at the university of georgia I wrote about it a couple weeks ago, and, and I think it bears mentioning again. I just think this is such a huge season for him, and I think it's such a golden opportunity for him to lose all of his top five receivers. That's a challenge, absolutely. But, you know, if he can come back, take this passing game to the next level, and I think it's a golden opportunity for James Coley as well as a new coordinator coming in and, and kind of picking up where this passing game left off. It's improved each of the last two seasons. It has a chance to improve again. And this is a big season is for him in that regard because he can show that he's the engine that makes this offense go, that, that yeah, Georgia does have a great running game. Yes, they have a great offensive line. Yes, they, they, they hang their hat on their ability to run the football and, and, and things of that nature. But Jake Fromm is the guy who takes the snap and, and, and makes it all go. And he has a chance to kind of silence all of his doubters this year with that. And I don't necessarily think it takes a national championship to do that. I think it just takes – Georgia picking up where they left off offensively and and Kip you, you know you haven't been shy about you know Jake Fromm's legacy where he stands and all that stuff what's kind of your thoughts on on the opportunity he has this year when it comes to losing those top five receivers and then having a chance to to be the guy that that shows you know hey it's not about them it's about the quarterback position and it's about what, what you know, getting him in the right play and doing all the things that he can do. How do you feel about that? Do you think this is an opportunity for Jake Fromm? I think it's absolutely an opportunity for Fromm to, to submit his legacy. Uh, you know, you look back at that 2017 season, which, you know, kind of brought Kirby Smart's program to the forefront of the, the national championship discussion, you know, them making that, that college football playoff for the first time, winning that thrilling Rose Bowl game and winning the SEC and coming, you know, again, a play away from, from bringing home a, a title. When you look at that team, you know, a lot of the praise, and, and rightfully so, but most of the praise comes on the, the seniors that came back that year. You know, the Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle – on offense, and then you look at Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy on defense. That was kind of the the, the featured storyline for the most part of that team, and and offensively, you know, those two running backs being the most prolific, run, you know, rushing duo in FBS history. They're going to get a lot of praise, uh, but you you know, his performance that season and since then has really gone. You know, I'm not going to say under the radar. He's talked about a lot, but you know, just what he does at the line of scrimmage, the pre-snap reads, putting everyone in the right position, you know, as a true freshman and as a true sophomore, uh, really, really impressive. And, and what he's done in his first two seasons at Georgia, just statistically, uh, is is extremely impressive. I mean, he's a career 64.9% passer, you know, and he's not just dinking and dunking. He's pushing the football down through play action. You know, they, they are – they have they he can complete the deep ball. You know he's he's an excellent deep ball passer. And when this when the pocket's clean, you know there might not be two three better quarterbacks in college football with a clean pocket than Jake Fromm. So I think you know he's already showed that he he can handle it at this level, and he should be considered an NFL prospect. But what really you know catches my eye this season is this is Jake Fromm's team. 
You know, his freshman season, you know, that was, uh, you know, he went into that year, that was Jacob Eason's team, you know, and, and Eason went down. And Jake never gave him an opportunity to, to win that job back, you know, and all that all he gets from that is, you know, another five star quarterback just nipping at his heels in, in Justin Fields. And again, Jake Fromm showed he was the better quarterback last season. He was the, the quarterback they needed last season. And now neither of those two players are on Georgia's roster. This is unquestionably Jake Fromm's offense. Under James Coley in his first year as offensive coordinator, he's going to get to show, you know, all these NFL scouts and Georgia fans and college football fans alike, he's going to get to show them all what he's going to be able to do uh, this season. So I, I think this, it, you know, his legacy will be written you probably whether or not he leaves after this year, this season will be the one that dictates, you know, where he is in the record birds record books at Georgia, but I think he's already he's already up there among the best and he's got a chance to really solidify himself as 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 one of the best to ever play for Georgia, regardless of position. Well one thing's for sure is we won't have to wait very long for it to get started. Football season's right around the corner camp here in a you know a couple a couple two short weeks and and see media days coming up, talking season, all that stuff. Real excited about that. We'll have it all covered for you. Keep you enjoy vacation. I know you got something coming up, and, and you know, I know you're going to drink lots of water on your vacation, and, and that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then Rusty and I will have a podcast for you guys later this week. But for this one, that's all we got. I'm Jake Rowe. With me has been Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. This is the Junkyard Dogcast from Dogs 24-7, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys later on. Thanks for listening. <laughs>